according to the classic theory of fossil fuels, petroleum was formed as a Tellurian entity under unimaginable pressure and heat in the absence of oxygen and between the strata in absolute isolation. Petroleum Hadean formation developed a satanic sentience through the politics of in-between, which inevitable wells up through the god complex deposited in the strata to the surface, envenomed by the totalitarian logic of the tetragrammaton, yet chemically and morphologically depraving and traumatizing divine logic. Petroleum's autonomous line of emergence is twisted beyond recognition, emerged under such conditions. Petroleum possesses tendencies for mass intoxication on pandemic scales, different from but corresponding to capitalism's voodoo economy and other types of global possession systems. Petroleum is able to gather the necessary geopolitical undercurrents, subterranean or blobjective narrations of politics, economy, religion, etc., required for the process of eradication or the moving of the Earth's body towards the Tellurian Omega, the utter degradation of the Earth as a whole, as the ultimate desert or sherodrome, or, once again, take oil as a lubricant, something that eases narration and the whole dynamism towards the desert. The cartography of oil as an omnipresent entity narrates the dynamics of planetary events. Oil is the undercurrent of all narrations, not only the political, but also that of the ethics of life on Earth. Oil lubes the whole desert expedition towards the Lurian Omega, either as the desert of God or the host of singularity, the new Earth. As a Tellurian lube, oil simple makes things move forward. Bond's phantoms is key for this movement towards Tellurian Omega, through the superficial gas pipeline, subterranean oil reservoirs, or deep-tonic thinness of petroleum, the blob. To grasp oil as a lube is to grasp Earth as a body of different narrations being moved forward by oil. In a nutshell, oil is a loop for the divergent lines of terrestrial narration. So we open and we see you gathered with uh, the last superhero that you still have not met from this system four, Lance Flair. And Lance Flair is speaking over a dossier and he asks, what do you know about hyper objects? I think you just have a look of Joachim just with question marks, like uh, kind of like that Inosuke face whenever somebody asks him a question. John Doe looks, does the phrase hit a button in his brain? Nah, not really. Uh, then the John's just going to look. Uh, I know that's a word. Yes, it's a new concept, so I will not be surprised if uh, you have not heard about it. So, you know things, objects, right? Yeah. What occurs in your mind when I say an apple? Well, I uh, 
think of an apple. Rakin? Uh, he just blinks. Exactly. And uh, what did happens in your mind when I say building? Well, I think of a building. Yeah. What do you say in your mind when I say government? Uh, I, uh, I mean, I guess I think of a government, but I don't know what that looks like in my mind. See, now, now we are entering the hyper-object territory. An hyper-object is a thing that cannot be easily understood by human brain. It is not an object that you cannot picture it in its entirety. For example, when I tell you a billion dollars, you know what a billion dollars means, right? Yeah, it's a lot of money. That's the thing. It's a lot of money. But you cannot understand how much money a billion of dollars is. All right. I think I get it. So that's the problematic with uh, hyper objects is that when we are dealing with things on a scale which we don't understand, for example, what does it mean government? What it means a world government? What it means the climate change? What is this as an object? Can you picture climate change? Nope. I mean, maybe in the most like basic way. You can picture individual points of cause and consequence of it, but you can never connect all of those. You cannot even see the curvature of the shape of these objects. And this is what I call hyperobjects. And to me, the success of our endeavors, the success of the survival of human species, depends on understanding these hyperobjects. And uh, such as Professor Beers had, for his case, considered that the use of computing can help with the problems that no human being can actually perceive a government with all its five systems, much less a world government that will be able to accommodate all the variancy. If I am to stop the ecological collapse, I need to find a way to communicate the seriousness of such a problem. Uh, yeah, Joachim is just like blank stare. Yeah, uh, probably uh, hacking is the first time that they have heard about uh, global warming and climate change. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that even climate on his island? Uh, I believe we established that the climate has been changing over the years, causing the people's much more difficulty, but I don't believe he could put two and two together that man-made climate change is causing it. So is this kind of a breakthrough for them? I, th I think so. Joachim will burst out of his chair. Then we must smash the climate change. <laughs> And uh, Lensfair laughs. Yes, my friend, this is what I've been trying to do for years. But uh, it's quite difficult to even communicate the immensity of it, much less stop it. Uh, you know that even our friends on the third world and across the whole of the cybernetic international, not all of them understand the seriousness of climate change as a problem. Okay. Uh, hmm. 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 He's trying to think, but uh, the gears are turning slowly. Yeah, I don't know much about climate change, but it sounds pretty bad. Well, I'm afraid that as a true hyperobject, we really don't understand 
all the consequences of our actions that led to climate change, but uh, it's pretty obvious that it is. Yeah. So what is the current plan then? And uh, Landfire seems defeated. There is not one. This is what our problem. This is why this conference is happening, because uh, if there is one thing that uh, they have been doing for a while in uh, University of Baghdad, they've been looking into big ideas for millennia. So it's the perfect place for the people across the world to get to discuss this. Hopefully we're going to have something more more current to present. But uh, I have no plan. Uh, And... uh, There's something about the way that he says that that, uh, reminds you, uh, Berserkir, about the stories that you have heard on the old sagas of your people, about uh, an enemy of uh, of your land, uh, an enemy that is only described as the desert, and uh, the ways that the the changing climate has been uh, affecting you. The older people that kept the stories that uh, read the rune stones they keep saying that the desert is awakening the desert approach desert encroaches and this climate change it seems to you a lot like the desert and uh, what the idea of confronting this ancient enemy of your people rouses in you Yes, we must go to the desert, and uh, but how do we fight such an old enemy? I, I think he's like pondering this because actually uh, there was a connection between uh, Vikings and the uh, Southwest Asia. I mean, we have evidence of it now, but we, we didn't. I don't think we had it back then. But since we've kept the sagas alive, I think there was tales of the places south, further south than most ships would normally go. Uh, raids and stuff and i think he just kind of gets a little quiet because it's for lack of a better term it's like facing the big bad almost for him like he's facing the big bad a little bit too early but it's got to be done now or it'll be too late yeah and that is another element to this you know because uh, you have been in in a desert you were in the desert in chile you fought there and uh, but that does not somehow is the same foreboding. It's not like the desert was a steal to you and your magic. No. It's something else. Something about the way that this is stalked that you feel, you feel this enmity. You feel this inevitability. You feel that there is this narrative oil that is like rewriting this conflict between your people and the desert. But this desert is not a literal desert. It's something else. Because again, you've been on a real desert and it was just hot. Yeah, hot and dry. I've been in cold and dry deserts, but yeah. So it's just like, I think the desert feels almost empty, like devoid of magic, devoid of life. Because his power comes from the life around him, like the spirits of what is living, what's we're living and what will be living. So it's like when there's a lack of that, which is what climate change will do to our planet if, if it happens to a point. Well, it's probably going to happen at this rate, but eh, whatever. Just this vast hyper object of a desert that you just cannot imagine without life. 
Yeah, and uh, that is the realization that uh, hates you. That uh, you're meant to fight this thing. There is no future for your people without fighting. And another thing that uh, uh, maybe you have been trying not to think about is, this is probably your first time. Uh, how it feels to be on a plane? Oh, he's probably a little bit freaked out. Like, he's been on ships, but he has, you know, spells, charms, and superstitions that keep him feeling like he, there is some control on a ship. But this is like playing over a sea of clouds. It's just completely alien. And he's he's a little freaked out right now about... But he's not being too unruly. They served liquor on planes at this time, didn't they? That is, uh, that is liquor there, but it's more because this is a private plane. Oh, wow. Yeah, but uh, we'll come into that there. But yes, there is liquid available. You're sitting on a comfortable, basically private compartment for the three of you. Okay, so he's probably drinking a little bit more than what he would normally do, just trying to keep the edge off, because he just does not feel that control that he normally does in situations like these. Like, In fact, he might even start trying to learn to fly to, to get that semblance of control back, but that's, that's for future Joachim. So, John Doe, how do you feel that uh, you're not only flying on a plane, but you are flying on a plane that is a light construct that has been created through lens flare power. So this is a clear plane, like an invisible jet? Honestly, I did not tell it that far, but uh, I would say it's not exactly clear, but it's like, uh, imagine if a Star Wars hologram was plane. So it's like Smith translucent, yeah, and glowing, glowish. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> John Doe is handling being in Lens Flare's construct by trying really hard not to think about it. Uh, he's distracting himself by looking anywhere but at the plane, which means looking out the wall, out the window, happily listening to a conversational hyper object that he doesn't understand. Yeah, and anything that you want to do while you still have land flare, because you know that as soon as you land and it's not that much left, they're going to be pretty busy for the next five days at the conference about environmental collapse. So what is our mission again? You don't have one. Oh, so this is almost this. What are we supposed to do then? Yeah, that's the question. Oh, why did you came here? Why did you went along with less flare and is this going to the conference in Baghdad? And I'm going to lead over to Joachim and just, well, uh, A, I have a bad feeling about this. B, my friend Liana's here and uh, I haven't had a chance to catch up with her. She's actually, she's, she's, you'll like her. Oh, okay. And C, bad feeling about this. Plus, I don't think I've ever been to Baghdad and they don't like me to travel alone for some reason. Okay. So you all have your workstations back in Chile and you know that you always have three or five topics that uh, when they get things are sent to your monitor stations. Does any of you too have topics that you think might have pinged in portraying to Baghdad or Iraq? Not unless someone's using mind control technology here. I don't think Berserkir knows how to turn his console on yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not that they haven't explained it to him. It's just that it's like he probably broke it. 
Yeah, I mean, the people of Chile, they have five years trying to make using of the cyber system culturally easy to understand, but I guess they never had to explain it to a Viking. So I guess that's the problem. But there's actually a related thing. You hear that um, there have been uh, multiple people that uh, have visited Iraq or Iran recently. Members of uh, that uh, mining company wearing a trench coat called Canada and uh, representatives of major oil companies that uh, they have adjusted their goals to be more aggressive ever since they visited certain sites and uh, there is a lot of reports about uh, cognitive lapses and the time that has not been accounted by by secretary and assistant staff and it's not like they changed their behavior they are doing just as aggressively as before pursuing profits and expansion of uh, new rigs new pipelines new operations it's just that uh, also those things happen that uh, well is that any magic any mind control and if it was would anyone notice the difference hmm. yeah John definitely looks to those reports and there's also and like looks over at yeah at Joachim well let's just we'll keep our ears to the ground there might be something a little more unusual going on out in the desert does Joaquin react to this? Especially because is John Doe talking about desert or is John Doe talking about desert? I don't know. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's passed out right now. <laughs> he's a little like I. I, I was. Ex- uh, yes, maybe there's something going on. I. Uh, I. I'm still wondering what the desert has to do with anything. Uh. Well, I'm sure we'll find out. Probably in a way that'll hurt a little bit. Okay, so we cut and uh, we are on cafe looking over the streets of um, Baghdad. And uh, John Doe, what about this cafe tells you that, uh, well, this is a kind of place that will only exist and thrive on the same street where all the embassies are? Trying to think how to put this. It is a genuine Iraqi cafe, but only in that incredibly safe touristy way. Like it's got decor, but it serves all of the coffee and tea blends you would expect internationals to love, and nothing a local would ever fucking drink. And Berserkir, you are in a bustling city. There are cars everywhere. It is Completely unlike Santiago, which is a very big city, but completely different in tone and climate and culture. What is the most striking thing that you found on the way here to this meeting point? I I really don't know. Probably the architecture. They haven't seen anything really like it before. Like mostly what we have, like what we have in the Northlands is a bunch of insulation using mud and grass and turf and stuff like that very low buildings if they're tall they're not really that tall compared to the buildings here 
And the buildings here are a lot more airy. And they let air flow through them a lot better than we do because up north, the air is very cold. Where here, the air is needed to keep the everything cool. So as you are making yourself comfortable in the cafe, you see Liana waving at you as she moves in between the a motorcycle and a taxi to make uh, the way to your place. And tell me, John Doe, what memories come floating in as you think about Liana? So John Doe first met Liana at a... trying to think of what kind of meeting the Cybernetic International would have had. At some sort of meeting the Cybernetic International held in America. How did that happen? Uh, You see, that's what I'm wondering. Which city would allow that to happen without the CIA happening, being there all over? Probably Los Angeles, maybe New York as like a UN thing. But the CIA was all over it. And in fact, John Doe ended up in a fist fight with a CIA super due to a totally unrelated social issue. And Liana and John Doe really became like friends after that. Liana, the memory that floods back the most is Liana telling John Doe that he needs to, that he can only do so much fighting in America. He needs to go somewhere else to try and help and pushing him to go to Chile. They've teamed up a few times since, but that's whatever he sees her. That's the first thing is him having some CIA goon super in a headlock and Liana yelling for the rest of the international. And, uh, well, the obvious uh, uh, question is, where is Liana based? And why did not she ask John Doe to come to her unit? Or rather, did she ask and John Doe did not want to go? What What was the story there? So she's based in Pakistan. And I think there is probably an undercurrent of tension because John Doe signed up with system four of Chile first. And as soon as Pakistan's war was established, Liana has been asking why John Doe hasn't requested a transfer, why hasn't transferred in. And John Doe himself doesn't know he on some levels because he wants to be close to Stafford and Highwayman and a couple of the other members of system four. But he's not even sure himself why he hasn't taken the transfer. Oh, and uh, you know that this will come up on this conversation. Oh, absolutely. That's why Joachim's here. He can help distract from it. And uh, Joachim, what is the first thing that you notice about this waving woman? I'm going to go with her bright, colorful clothing. Like, it's kind of like Vikings do like to wear a lot of color, but uh, this is a far more intricate design than what what they've seen before. And yeah, so it's just bright stand out uh, stand out but not clashing and not like overbearing color just definitely different from what the west would wear which would be like a matte blue suit or something like that yeah liana seems to be enjoying herself because it's not like there are many opportunities like they have to dress up even the current situation of the cybernetic socialists in pakistan and she is grinning year to year as she sits down and uh, so what have you ordered oh my you are tall liana yakim yakim liana Hello. She's a very good friend of mine. I ordered, I mean, I told the waiter to get me whatever was good. I ordered the same. 
very creative. Uh, it's nice to meet you, Joaquin. I take you're not from Chile? Oh, I'm from... Uh, uh, and he pulls out a piece of paper like, this is where you're supposed to... This is from Johnny Jennings that I pull out uh, of my pocket. This is where you're supposed to be from, and it's Trondheim, Norway. Oh, I'm from Trondheim, Norway. He's, like, trying to be subtle about it, but he's not subtle about it at all. Yeah, and uh, Liana is not buying it, and she says... She just she just gives a side glance to Jando and not presses it. Well, it's very hot today, so I think I'll have some black tea. You know, I, I know you love it, Liana. I don't think I'll ever get used to black tea. I just... It's so strong. So, what have you two been doing? I heard about the thing back in Chile. We were very worried. We are, we were by basically for three days. We did not get anything back from you. We fear the worst. It was Lord Durax. If I never have to hear that name again, it might be too soon. Yokim was a pretty big help with that. And I mean, I know you sent me uh, my glamour shot on the cover of Time. But uh, otherwise, things have been good. We've been staying busy, I guess. Uh, how are things in Pakistan? <sighs> Can you imagine how hard it is to run an entire government from the back of tracks? And basically, we have to innovate everything that we had and uh, with the least resources. And each passing day, more people on Iran and Afghanistan request our assistance. So we don't only have the obligations to the people that elected us, and now they are the rule of uh, a de facto and continue to act as the legitimate government, we also need to stretch and uh, support our friends that uh, are suffering the neighborhood because if we close ourselves to only our problems, we'll be easily overcome. We are stretched thin and we are always on the run every single day. They are uh, uh, spidey planes, people trying to intercept or quantum uh, telex machines and... Uh, we really are stretched to the limits, and it's not like we have an established infrastructure. Like we have, it's like I tell you, we have to be creative. We could always use more muscle there, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I can't imagine how difficult that is. Uh, so, uh, what, what brings you here for the uh, the the climate change crisis? So, Manazur Bhutto has plans for uh, for when things normalize in Pakistan, and uh, they still see the future as require a radical change to the means of production and the way that we organize them and uh, the whole energy economy. And I agree. Part of the problems that we had, why we appealed to Yugoslavia was that we needed to overhaul our entire energy grid and switch to nuclear. And uh, that's still the plan. And uh, the last decade only showed us how fragile the dependence on oil and whatnot is. And uh, yeah, even if there are many of our comrades across the third world that uh, their entire economies are based on oil now, that we need to get a plan to uplift them from this dependency, even as the capitalist countries are flooding themselves in crude. So I kind of want to see the ideas that are presented here and report back. 
I'm sure it'll be interesting. Lens flares here. There's some other interesting names on this docket. I've been keeping, you know, I mean, me and Berserk here are just here to see the sights. Uh, hopefully nothing terrible will happen, but I don't know much about climate change. You hear a lot of honking as you see some motorcycles clearing away and what seems to be a limousine, an armored car going. And you can see that there are the flags of the United States and the state of Rhode Island on this car as it's slowly trying to make its way through the traffic. And there's something similar Ah, you don't know. You get this nagging feeling that uh, there's something echoing in your memory. And uh, were you ever to Rhode Island? What could it be? John kind of stands up and looks at it. He's staring real hard. Man, I'll, I'll be right back. Joachim, if something crazy happens, you, you know what to do. And he starts to walk towards the car. Yeah, the car is not really moving because of the traffic. And you can see that there are uh, some kind of security people around or motorcycles. Uh, if you continue, they might intercept you. So what do you do? Well, this is when John Doe proceeds to leverage the most important thing he can. Uh, John Doe is going to pull out his official system for name badge or equivalent. And if there is one, he's going to allow the fact that he is one of those public members of the team and kind of just like, pardon, John, excuse me, John Doe, official system for business. You, two of the security apparatus, they move away from their bikes and they intercept you. But uh, as this is happening, the, the window of uh, the armored car goes down and a woman on her 40s with uh, blonde hair and uh, a scar over her left eye, she pokes out. Now, why are we not moving? And you are hit with recollection and uh, you are suddenly back in LA uh, you are on a corner kiosk and uh, you're looking at a magazine in which there is a woman wearing a hat and a corn pipe and uh, with the letters I will be back and uh, we see you see the, le the letters the American Caesarine after losing for the governorship race announces that she will for sure be the next president of the United States you're recognizing it that it is this woman this is the same woman as you saw on that magazine and you know that uh, yeah she tried to run for governor of new york and uh, you know that she was pretty famous she was a wrestler served in the army basically sells it uh, herself as a progressive female version of uh, of macarthur and yeah she's extremely popular and the, the democrats they have not won for the last decades and uh, Everyone is kind of hoping that, uh, oh, if she is going to beat on the next primaries, if she's going to win, there is nobody that the Republicans have that have her raw charisma. She's going to be the one. She she can actually take the White House, finally. Points. And, uh, yeah, and uh, she failed, again, she failed to get governor of New York, but uh, she is basically serving her first time as senator for Rhode Island. And uh, you finally remember her name. Senator Lydia Bella. And is that the only echo I feel in my memory? Or do I feel more the more I look at her? 
Yeah, there's something else, but uh, you are kind of expecting to have one of your flashes, but for some reason, they are not activated. But it's not like there is nothing. It's like there is nothing, but it's not starting. Right. I'm going to continue. If her security detail doesn't stop me, I'm just going to push my way past them to get closer. That's when the gunshots start. Okay, and you're the first one to see that. You see a bunch of soldiers coming from the opposite side of the street, and uh, they seem to be shooting to the air mostly, uh, but towards a few of the cops and military police that might be around. But there seems to be a bunch of soldiers that are basically trying to take over the street, going from car to car and uh, basically forcing them opening. And uh, whenever there is someone that is clearly not direct inside, they pull them out and pass it towards their officers. You realize that these people, they seem to be part of the army, but they seem to be taking as many foreign hostages as possible. Oh boy, are we going through a coup? Maybe. John's going to turn, look at that, look at Joachim, and with both hands on the side of his mouth, hey, uh, hey, Joachim. Yeah? That's the signal. Okay. And then John's going to roll up his sleeves because, uh, you know, John's probably wearing more traditional light-colored long-sleeve garb. He's going to roll it up, <sighs> turn towards the officers throwing the coup. And uh, and uh, the question here is, do you understand the situation that he's in? No. I, I for one, do not. I, I'm not sure. Like, ordered, he will confront, or if confronted, he will con- he will fight back. But I don't think they'll really understand what's going on, other than, like, hey, somebody's making a grab for power. Well, come on, this happens a lot. It's, it's only natural. Yeah, the American Entourage, they now, they are not paying attention to you. And protect the senator. And uh, they dive between cars and they pull their guns and start shooting back. And uh, the senator calmly steps out. She stretches her neck. And uh, there seems to be three women in the car with her. And uh, two of them come out, also yelling again. She turns to the third one and say, Well, Daria, get the camera rolling. And then she's bl- she becomes a blur and jumps right in in the middle of the fights and starting punching enemy soldiers. Does this look like theater to John Doe? Will John Doe be able to, to notice? With his high intuition, maybe. Hey, so yeah, complete success. Uh, you get the feeling that uh, there's something off about this scene. Like, these are real soldiers. There is a real danger. They are really trying to kidnap ambassadors or their staff. But this seems provoked. Like, they seem to be at a tactical disadvantage. This does not seem to be something that is going to be successful. And uh, it seems pretty rushed and uh, not, again, not uh, well thought. But on the other hand, Senator Bella seemed to be ready with the camera crew on the moment. With that, John's going to yell out to Yoki, Yoki, false alarm, and walk away from the confrontation. Oh, 
Yeah, uh, this is this is a good call because nobody asked you to help. Once we get closer, I'm going to look at Joachim. Joachim, this seemed foolish to you? A little bit, yes. That's what I thought. Liana? Let's get moving. Let's let's just go away. Take us somewhere a little more authentic. I would like to say at that, Joachim looks back at the senator and his eyes narrow and it's like new rival detected. Good. Good. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you just see the senator throw a guy into the air while posing to the camera. And uh, yeah, as you try to move on the opposite direction, you see a legit two god tank going on the opposite direction and blocking a street. And you turn on one of the side allies and Liana screams as a hand comes out of the shadow and grabs her. And you see an officer and two soldiers pointing the guns at you as they try to capture her. Uh, Joachim's going to try and just grab and crush the guns. Our editor's page for the current issue has been given to us by a reading of Cyclonopedia, Complicity with Anonymous Materials, a book by Reza Egarestani. Crimson Gold Agonies is an associate of Court Games and D20 Radio. Joaquin Jarv, aka Berserkir, is played by Brent Torreson. They can be found at Copper Credit almost everywhere. Check out their other podcasts, Splinters of Jade and L5R Thriller Actual. They are available for editing work. Message them for rates. Johnny Jennings, aka The Highwayman, is played by Sam Sedlachter. They can be found at SGCADelaysec on Instagram and YoungSpaceDead on Twitter. They are largely imperceived. John Doe is played by Bradley Handler. You can follow him at JudgeTheBarbarian on Twitter or as co-writer on SplitRoll where he screams his opinions at you. Ludo handles the rest. You can find them at The Lettil and more of her stuff as Agonizing Crimson at Itchio or co-writing Split Roll. Citadel Comics RPG is the property of Greater Than Games and designed in collaboration with Critical Hit.
I'll show you. I'm gonna take all of your food and I'm gonna reduce it to nutrient sludge. So then I can create an endless army of me, Lord Durax. Oh no, Pina! Lord Durax is going to destroy the food co-op! No, Mordisco, no! What are we gonna do? Hey, Durax, come on! You already tried to drop an asteroid on the planet. You can't destroy this food co-op. I do whatever I want for I am Lord Durax! Kids, don't worry. As John Doe, I'm gonna do what I do best against Imperial alien invaders. Oh, please! Please, Senor Chando, please stop him before he destroys everything that we have worked so hard to do. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I might not have the energy to do it. You have to try. All right, I don't know. I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Hold on. Uh, what, what you got there? Oh, these? These are just compliados. They are pumpkin cakes filled with delicious manjar de leche. And it's shaped like the marine wonders of South America, so it's both delicious and educative. I'll get you another one. Can I have that one? Sure, John Doe. There are plenty of, of those in the nearest food distribution center. Please tell your parents and educators about it. How much you want, Cupliados? Thanks to Cumpleanos giving me the strength, I'm going to put Durax in a headlock. Come here, Durax. <laughs> no, you cannot get a hold of me. Have you forgot my spectacular translucent powers? I just going to skip right through here and oops, I'm gone. <laughs> well, kids, we've chased Durax off this time and saved Cumpleanos. Now, let's sit down and have a snack. Compliados, the bounty of the sea is the birthday's boy's reward. I'm John Doe, and I support both this message and Compliados.